Cheeseburgers, man. Just cheeseburgers. Y'all listening to Old Timey Crappy. Crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. Old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we're all very disturbed. Oh my fucking god. Honestly, do you guys want to skip uh how are you this week and just get right to it so we can get it over with? I, I honestly feel like we need a little bit of a palate cleanser, just like a micro palate cleanser. Maybe we save it for the end. You, okay. So that then we can like move on with our lives. We have like that 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 cushion in between the, the horror and awfulness and the cheeseburgers. Mm-hmm. I will say this. If anybody out there has a bucket of ashes or salt, we could desperately <laughs> use some here in Christie's driveway. <laughs> Scott Z- keeps getting stuff. Zero friction. <laughs> Zero friction. And That's it's what she said on a slope <laughs> doesn't help matters so yeah this week we are going to be talking about peter Curtin, the vampire of dusseldorf why this guy isn't grouped in with some of the heavy hitters like albert fish yeah and hh H. holmes is beyond me he oh, this is a heavy German. hitter that's true yeah yeah it doesn't uh doesn't we're, we're ethnocentric here in America. So that's one thing, actually, I was thinking this week. Um, I love the fact that it, probably sheerly because of the time period that we limit ourselves to, we do so many international murders, you know, and international crimes. That, to me, like, we've been all over the place, at least um, in, you know, the, the Western world. We haven't really hit too much in, like, Asia or... Um, or Africa or anything like that. But but yeah, so I think it's it's always fun to learn about new things about new places as well in addition to learning about horrible murders. But I mean, like we we went to school around here, so you know that they kind of put a lot of bad stuff in early America under the rug. Like we're just not going to talk about it. We want people to like us. The Native Americans gave us that land. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. It was yeah. a present. How can you not appreciate a present? Columbus should be honored. Here's a day. Here's a whole day for this truly horrible man. So, yeah, and in fairness, Americans like to hide stuff, and that's why I think a lot of this stuff is international. Yeah, that's very (laughs) true, yeah. So, Peter Curtin. Oh, he was born in Kohl-Mulheim, which is a suburb of Cologne, Germany, on May 26, 1883, to a terrible family. I mean, it is wretched and horrifying right from the beginning. It really, and then it just never lets up. Even, Even if the parents would have been decent... Hint, they're not. No. <laughs> but even if they would have 13 children, he is the third of 13 children. Two died early, so okay, that's 11. Plus the parents, mom and dad, that's two. 13 people living in a one-bedroom apartment. Now, the thing is, is I was curious about this, because where I read it, it said one room. Yes. Isn't this entirely possible, especially it being Europe? I've... Everything is very small. <laughs> it, it was actually one room because we'll get to later the uh, the the dog handler that yes. he was helping was in the same house. So he was also renting a room in that house. So it was a one room. So not even apartment. like, you know, like you have that bedroom separation from the, the, the common area. No, it was all common area. And it's truly not pleasant what happened there. His father was a molder. Which is, I'm not talking about the X-Files. Um, I wish. I couldn't find a lot on this. Um, 
I had something to, I guess making molds is essentially the best I could find. And, and Peter Curtin would eventually follow in his footsteps there in guess, more ways than one. Guess what my dad did. Oh, was your dad a molder? My, my dad, my dad worked in the brickyard in Mount Savage, but he also was a molder. And they made the bricks, right? They, they did make the bricks, but dad would, uh, dad specialized in aluminum molding. So the whole thing of like getting very fine grain black sand and putting a wooden a, a wooden uh, letter down. Uh, there's there's a funeral home in Lavelle, Maryland, where you can still see some of my dad's work. He made the lettering for the outside of that. Oh wow! So it would be a thing where he would, depending on how accurate he wanted things to be, he would cut a letter out of a piece of wood or make a mold of anything. He'd tamp down on the uh, on the mold it was a two-piece mold and it was black sand that he would use melt aluminum and then pour it right in sometimes he would use styrofoam so he w if he would make the mold out of the black sand he wouldn't have to pull the wood out because if you made something out of styrofoam you could pour you could pour that molten aluminum down in and it would just burn the styrofoam away oh. so you have like an entry hole you have a couple of vent holes uh, I still carry a, a small scar on my right leg where a piece of molten aluminum splashed up and hit me whenever I was five. Oh, dear. Yeah, I must. I imagine that must be a danger of the profession. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Cool scars, though, I bet. Uh, yeah. Damn straight. Well, Chicks uh, dig them. I bet that your father was a much better man than Peter Curtin's father. Yes, yes. Uh, this week, things are going to get so horrific that we're replacing a lot of the words with the word cheeseburger. <laughs> Scott is. I was going to use the real words, but I, I've been vetoed. This one this one bugged me. I'm just going to say sexually assault. It, it works. <laughs> and it doesn't get into details, because some of those details were one of the parts that bugged me. <laughs> both, of his, both of his parents were alcoholics, and whenever like he was drunk, the father would force his children to watch him making cheeseburgers with his wife. So that is Scott's way of re referencing um, a sexual assault. And I can totally understand, because it gets pretty brutal. He would also beat the kids. And uh, in later years, uh, Peter Curtin said, quote, if they hadn't been married, it would have been rape, end quote. Got news for you, buddy. I know attitudes were different then, but uh, yeah, marital cheeseburgers, if you mm -hmm. will, are a thing. And you're ruining cheeseburgers for me, dude. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking that. <laughs> can, we make it like, can we pick a different word? Onions. I hate onions. No, I like onions. Okay, well, what do you dislike? Can we figure out something we all hate together? Mushrooms? Chicken. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. It's a Fuck tough you one. Guys. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's not um, not good. There was lots of of sexual violence, and some of that was including um, with the children. At age nine, uh, Peter Curtin becomes friends with a dog catcher in the building, as we referenced earlier. And the dog catcher has a particular thing that he is into. What's he into, guys? Torturing and killing dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a song. <laughs> he is, yes, into bestiality, and of course, being a dog catcher, well, I guess easy prey will uh, later on become a theme here. They start with dogs. Also at the age of nine, really starting young here, Peter Curtin drowns two classmates. Not one. No, no, no. Not one. Two, or at least he claims to. They were on a raft in the Rhine River, and uh, Curtin pushed one overboard. One that could not swim. 
One that could not... Oh, yeah, yeah. It was one that could not swim, and another boy had jumped in to try to save him, so he held down the good swimmer's head. Yeah. And... <laughs> Let me help you! <laughs> bubbles are funny! <laughs> Don't you like the bubbles? The bubbles, look at them. They spill up from the thing. You oh, know no what? more bubbles. Interestingly <laughs> enough, though, with, with this drowning that was ruled accidental... Um, there was actually a story that I found that in 1888, when he was five, he tried to drown a friend. So this was not the first attempt at drowning. This wow. was just the first successful drowning. See, now, this makes me think, whenever his father would make cheeseburgers forcibly with the mother, how much of this was asphyxiation because we know there is an erotic asphyxi asphyxiation thing going on with a lot of people who, who like power against another person or you know hey if it's if it's mutual whatever i'm fine with it just for the love of fucking god be careful out there people yeah and just consent consent <laughs> consent. consent because everything almost almost everything seems to deal with taking oxygen away from people i mean there's there's a time and a place for that and, and, and there, well, not almost everything. There's a lot of also blood. I'm looking for bruises on your neck, Amber. <laughs> um, so at age 13, uh, he, he had a sort of relationship of sorts going on with a girl his age. Uh, 13, she wouldn't have sex with him, with, which, you know, 13. Uh, so many people aren't ready at 15, 16, 17. But she had no problem getting naked. Did really? No, no. He would, he would, yeah. It's a... Uh... They they flirt, they touch, they fondle. It's just that she like, wouldn't get down to the nitty gritty with them. She, okay, she was all about the relish, the mayonnaise, the ketchup, <laughs> but she is not about the entire cheeseburger. So uh, she wouldn't have sex with him, and so he started accosting local barnyard animals, going straight to the bestiality. Uh, he would hit up the goats, the sheep, the pigs, and he really seemed to enjoy uh, stabbing them during the act, which is just new levels of horrifying, and we're going to hit some special new levels as we go higher. And yeah. I say special like, oh, God. Um, and that worked out for a while until one of the local farmers caught him with the pig. As he was inevitable. It was very, he was very upset that he killed his pig. I mean, bacon. I don't know why you'd be mad about it, but I mean, I guess it's been defiled. So yeah, kinda. maybe I don't want that bacon. I, I don't. Know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of bacon I will eat. I will not eat that bacon. You know, pork is usually salty, but this is oh, really salty. No, <laughs> no, so much no. <laughs> and Amber's high fiving him. <laughs> I am not. My hands are staying over here. So at age 16, he actually steals all the household cash and runs away from home, which probably if he'd have stuck around, things might have potentially gotten better because not long after that, his father was arrested for incest with his 13-year-old sister and jailed for three years. So, I mean, who's to say? We don't know. It's, it's one of those, you know, whatever happened, happened. Which things could have been first, the rape or the running away. Yeah, yeah. And so it could have been better, but maybe he would have still ended up being an incredibly messed up individual. No, no, no. Because he is already doing a ton of damage at this point. That is true, but maybe it could have gotten reverted at that point. I'm thinking... Your brain's not done developing until you're about 25. I'm honestly thinking at this point... He's going to see this as a power vacuum, and he is going to fill it, and he becomes the abuser this time around. Oh, see, you see it much worse than I do. My lord. 
Uh, so he ends up living with a masochistic sex worker, which really just cements the deal right there. <laughs> like you put a sadist with a masochist, and if again, if everyone's consenting, that can be fine. But later on, there's a whole lot of not consent. So she submitted to making every kind of cheeseburger with him. <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm also hungry, so everything's getting real confusing here. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm hungry, but I'm also sick of, like, just of this. Like, I had a pineapple cheeseburger yesterday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> not helping. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking Focus. about now. No. Focus. No, go. <laughs> uh, can we not call it cheeseburgers anymore? It's really rough for me. <laughs> uh, my stomach is so confused. So during and after this time that he ran away, he gets into petty crime. At first, it's just stealing food and clothing to get by, but he's got misdemeanors. He's in and out of jail. And, you know, he, he spends one month in jail for theft and four years for fraud at one point. Uh, and during this time period, his sadism moves from animals to people. If, a little, it was a little bit on people already, what with the drowning and everything, but it, it goes all the way there. And he basically, from this point on, blames his sadism on needing revenge against society for being put in jail, for being being put behind bars. It's, it's always like, well, it's your fault. You put me behind bars. It's like, well, you, you did crime. So what did you expect? You did, you did crime. <laughs> you did crime and probably badly. So what is the deal with him in solitary confinement? This was a weird and unique thing. Did yeah. you guys see this? Well, he liked it. I mean, yeah. I, I, then he could think his thoughts and masturbate freely and I guess with the cellmate, maybe he probably got his ass kicked. So, like, I'm thinking that he went out of his way to go to solitary confinement just to get his rocks off. And he did, yeah. He would intentionally break the prison rules. But my thinking is he has so little self-control that he can't just wait until he's out of jail. You know, like, once you're out of jail, then, yes, you can you can think about horrible, horrible fantasies and get your rocks off in peace and quiet and not, you know, get your ass kicked by your cellmate. But no, it's just, it's that immediate, that need for immediate gratification See, no, that causes like, him to, to do a lot of the things he does. I'm honestly surprised that he did not try to kill a cellmate when yeah. he was in with a cell. That's really surprising. Honestly, look at the pictures of him, though. Oh, no, I have a thing. Oh, you have a thing. I have a thing with the pictures. Okay. So this is my favorite, and I brought a prop. <laughs> I did. This is a thing I did. So, Are you going to put a Hitler mustache on I him? totally am. Don't ruin it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So he is quite German in appearance. You see him? Does he look familiar? Hold on. <laughs> now, does he look familiar? Hmm. <laughs> it's the haircut that does it. It's, he, it's the Germanness, really, that does it. He does have a very, you know, but it's, it's even his face, his face, his facial structure, his facial features, they do have some Hitler esque qualities, which is kind of ironic because the Third Reich would use his crimes as one of the examples of why they needed to crack down on society, which then ended up in people actually going and doing more horrible things in society. So that, that worked out horrifyingly. So, yeah, his fantasies included attacking people, burning things down. We see lots of arson. <laughs> um, and sabotaging trains. He, he just had these fantasies about sabotaging trains and this idea of, you know, like having like trains crash, I guess, probably blowing up some of that, too. Well, he both that the idea. arson and the trains is he wanted to see dead hobos. In 1913, he's looking for a place to rob around Cologne. And his general pattern seemed to be he would find apartments above pubs and taverns. And generally, the residents would live 
in the apartment and work in the pub below. And he used a skeleton key, which we, we've talked about before, how those, you know, were not the most secure devices at all. <laughs> like, you know, they're pretty universal. And honestly, if you have an old skeleton, if you have a door that's locked in your house and takes a skeleton key, honestly, the right size Allen wrench and a little bit of force will do the trick. Yeah, so it would, it would not take a lot of skill. And so he breaks into this apartment above a pub and he finds 10-year-old Christine Klein. Uh, she lived with her parents above the pub. Um, she's asleep in her bed. He strangles her to the point of unconsciousness, which is very rare that I can say thank God after that sentence, but I'm going to go ahead and say it considering what comes next. Then he sexually assaults her, and then he cuts her throat with a pocket knife. And all the while, her parents are working right underneath while this is happening, which is just absolutely devastating. You, you know they must have spent the rest of their lives thinking, if I had just gone upstairs, you know, like if I had just taken a quick break and run upstairs. But it's not, you know, something that was done. It was, the, you know, the, the kids were very independent and, you know, she's just asleep in her bed. So they assume that she's safe. Yeah. Yeah. It's your own home. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you do. You feel safe, sometimes safer than you should. And it, 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 we should be able to feel safe, but there are monsters out there. Yeah. So there are monsters out there lurking in the dark, and it's an unfortunate part of humanity. And, and this man is a truly unfortunate part of humanity. Now, later on, Curtin actually said that as soon as he heard her blood hit the floor, he made a cheeseburger in his pants. <laughs> You're really confusing me with what cheeseburger is referring to. I don't think I'm ever going to want to eat a cheeseburger <laughs> it's, again. It's universal. It there just... you go, Pizza Hut. You got more business now. <laughs> We're all going to be like, pizza, no cheeseburger. No cheeseburger. Nobody's ever going to eat a cheeseburger again. <laughs> so there had actually been um, an argument between Christine's uncle Otto and her father Peter the previous night. The timing is, is is kind of crazy here. Otto asked Peter for a loan. Peter was like, nah, no, no, sorry. No loan, no money for you. And which is his right. Otto then said he would do, quote, something you'll remember all your life, end quote. And those words would haunt him for a little while. Uh, the authorities pinned it on Uncle Otto at first. And here is where I get a little pissed off. <sighs> The cops found a handkerchief with the initials PK in the bedroom. And in case you haven't caught on, we're talking about Peter Curtin, and that's Curtin with a K. And the father of Christine Klein, with a K, is Peter. So, yeah, the cops find this handkerchief with the PK initials with the bedroom, and we have Peter Curtin, PK, and Peter Klein, PK. And somehow the, the police are like, well, maybe Otto borrowed it from Peter. And it's a handkerchief with the man's, with, with Peter Klein's initials, which granted, yes, are the same as Peter Curtin, but they don't even know who he is at this point, in his own house. Mm -hmm. How does this make you think, oh, well, th that definitely ties it to the uncle. That just, to well, me, is, I mean, I'm beyond. The uncle was trying to borrow money. Maybe he also borrowed his booger rag. Who knows? Like, Oh, yes. The, the, my mommy always used to call, um, it almost sounded like I said mommy. My mom always used to call uh, Kleenexes snot rags. Don't leave your snot rags sitting around. Oh, my God. I just had a flashback to my own childhood. <laughs> she totally did say mommy, though. Didn't I didn't say. I said my mom always, and it oh. kind of went weird. It sounded like mommy. <laughs> I'll edit. Mommy. Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> just, just put it in the end. <laughs> so, to me, that whole thing, and also the weird coincidence of them sharing initials. I mean, it's not a huge coincidence, but it's not like... 
they're the most common. You know, not too many names start with K, and P is not the most common male name starter. So it's just to me was strange. Curtin actually returned to the scene of the crime the next day, beginning a pattern there. He hung out in a cafe right across from the inn slash pub where the parents worked, had a beer, and just sat back and listened to the local chatter, which was all about the horrifying thing he had done to a 10-year-old girl the night before. And he would go and visit her grave. Oh, yeah. And just kind of play with the soil. And, and cheeseburger in his pants. And cheeseburger right into his goddamn pants playing with the soil. You sick fucking monkey. You're ruining monkeys now, too? No, monkeys are dangerous. It's best that you stay away from monkeys. They'll They're cute. Eat. I'll look at them from a distance. That's fine. They eat faces. No, <laughs> I get so people on certain drugs. <laughs> Just more proof that we're nothing but souped up monkeys. That is yeah, true. that's fair. He would later say um, about, you know, like, returning to the scene of the crime, listening to people talk, he would later say, quote, that all the horror and indignation did him good. And he also really followed the trial because there was, they didn't just say Otto did it. They had a full trial with Christine's uncle Otto. Uh, he was acquitted on the basis of insufficient evidence, thank God, because you have an argument which granted some unfortunate words and a handkerchief, and I don't know what else they had, but I don't think they had very much. But I think this is him following the trial and, and enjoying it is his fascination with causing others to suffer. Even if he's not directly doing it by putting his hands on someone or using a weapon, he's watching Otto suffer through this this horrifying process of being accused of his niece's murder and probably watching a family being torn apart, and he's just he's just sitting back and laughing and enjoying it. And this murder would stay unsolved for 18 years. Two months after the Klein murder, uh, he breaks into a house in Dusseldorf in order to burglarize it once again. And once again, you have a, a girl there. She's 17 years old, and this is our first Gertrude. Mm -hmm. Of many! Did yes. we notice the prevalence of Gertrudes? I did notice that, A yes. preponderance of Gertrudes. But I mean, a propensity it's... for Gertrudes. Oh, Lord. I can't a, stop. A gaggle of Gertrudes. <laughs> a gaggle of Gertrudes. Yeah, it just is Gertrude, Gertrude, Gertrude everywhere. It got hard to keep track of. So, she's 17 years old. He strangles her. And when the blood comes out of her mouth during this process... Um, Spontaneous cheeseburger is. Yes. I, um, Spontaneous cheeseburger. And he escapes again with no one the wiser. You actually wrote that. <laughs> yep, you did. <laughs> 1914, World War I begins. He is drafted into the military, but he deserts. And then after he commits a whole bunch of arson... You want to see my surprise face? <laughs> Amber's showing us her surprise face. It's a very sarcastic surprise face. No. He is imprisoned. Uh, and then at that point in time, he's imprisoned until 1921. So this is actually, the war has passed long after. And then he, eventually he's released. And this is his longest sentence yet. And he is furious. He moves to Altenburg uh, after this. Lives with his sister for a while. And meets August Scharf, who at first he... Okay, there were a couple of confusing sources very wildly moments. Um, one said that he pretended that he was a POW uh, with, yes, with August. Yes, I saw that. Another one said something about he pretended to be the man that had jilted her at the altar, who she then shot. 
Uh, she ended up in jail for four years for that, and uh, she was uh, had a lot of regrets and guilt. So that one was confusing to me because I was like, in what way was he pretending to escape the law, I guess? I'm not sure. It was very confusing. I tend to believe the POW thing. It just is the, the simplest explanation is, is very frequently the, the most accurate. So, it could oh. be like some sexual role play where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm that guy you shot. How Because that would get him the fuck off. Well, from what I saw, actually, was uh, he at first lied and said he was a POW to get, like, the pity vote, mm-hmm. um, but then came clean with her, and she wanted to stay with him to make amends for having shot her first almost husband. Yeah, she had a lot of guilt and regret over that that would, would follow her for the rest of her life. Of the, so the, the, the she, shooting. she thought by staying with him and being a good wife, that would be her repentance to... Wait. To get to see the pearly gates. And I mean, they were regularly cheeseburgery. But he said, uh, like, I, I guess they did consummate the, the, the marriage, and then eventually he would only, um, they would only have sex when she approached him for it. Yeah, well, he would, he could only cook whenever he was thinking about violence. That is true, yeah. Yeah, yeah he had to be thinking about, you know, blood and fires and, and horrible things happening in order to actually cook, as you say. Mm-hmm. So, uh... These euphemisms are getting weird. <laughs> He, he stayed in Altenburg until 1925 and got a job in a factory as a molder. Like we said, he would eventually follow in his dad's footsteps in that way. Um, lived a pretty ordinary life, was active politically. Everything seemed to kind of calm down for him. And then it's going to get real, real bad. So I would like to take a quick breather here to talk about castle bears. So <laughs> Wasn't that before like- we dive into the real bad stuff. We're going to talk about castle bears and bear moats. Wasn't that like the that cute little 1990s cartoon on NBC right before they took away Saturday morning cartoons, the castle bears? I have no Bouncing idea. Bouncing here and there and everywhere. Unless they you're making up that song, apparently the so. castle bears. So all this... <laughs> I don't know if he's telling the truth. I don't know either. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it could go either way. So in Altenburg, there is a castle. I went and looked up a little bit about the area. I you know, like to find out interesting things about where the, our subjects end up. And um, so it's, it's Altenburg Castle. In that castle from 1952 to 1982, there lived a brown bear named Poldy. Oh, Poldy. Poldy. And Poldy lived in a zwinger, which is some sort of defensive enclosure built into a castle. Um, he was the last castle bear. It's actually on a plaque at Altenburg. Last castle bear. He loved, there, and there are pictures, and we'll post them on the social media. He loved chicken eggs, and he would catch them in the air, like in his mouth. Not even in his hands, right in his mouth. You just throw chicken eggs, and he can, you know, like, gnaw them right up. To be fair, having a bear in anything makes that unbreakable into. I'm thinking about taking a bear and leaving it in my car. Leave the car doors unlocked. And <laughs> I'm still just confused by the trajectory that we have gone. It happens. It happens. <laughs> rabbit holes, it. and sometimes the rabbit holes are necessary. This one, I needed a breather. Okay, fair. Okay, and castle bears. I, I was seeing what was come. So feeding castle bears chicken eggs. Sorry. It, there was. Uh, there's now a stuffed bear there, and it's pretty adorable. Can um, you also shove chicken eggs in its mouth? Probably not. I mean, you could try, but the probably uh, wouldn't smell very good. Nah. So I wasn't able to find out much because this saying that the last castle bear. I was like, are there other castle bears? What am I missing here? Wasn't able to find that, but I was able to find out about bear moats. So moats, we usually think of as filled with water, and then there's the idea of alligators in the moat. That is actually pretty much a myth. 
And they, even the water, very frequently they did not fill them with water because of the fact that it's not, it doesn't have the most defensive advantages. A, a moat can be better used as a trench and for, you know, a couple other ways. Pretty much the best defensive advantage it offers is knights in armor swimming in a moat, not going to get far and going to be slow. So, um, they, uh, Chesky Krumlov Castle in the Czech Republic has had bears in its moat for the past 300 years. Do you think they got one in there accidentally at one point and went, God damn, this is really a fucking effective. Let's, <laughs> let's get more in there. More bears. Don't feed it. War is coming. <laughs> there were a few gaps in the 19th and 20th centuries, but other than that, they had those bears for 300 years, and altogether they would have a bear somewhere in the castle, I don't know, roaming around, trapped somewhere, I don't know, since the 16th century. And since 1907, so for over a century, that moat has been steadily occupied by bears. The last report was somewhere around 2006 that I could find, and there were four all Actually, no, I'm sorry. I edit that. The last report was somewhere around 2017 that I could find. There were four bears. Three. There were three bears. One of them died. I didn't want to get into the sad. Uh, Valk, who is 30. Katerina, who is 30. And Marie Terizzi, who is 20. They are cared for by bear tender. Jan Cerny, who came up with the Bear Festival. Of course. At Christmas and on the bear's birthday, they have festivals and parties for them. They decorate the castle. They leave piles. People come and leave piles of food. They bake a cake for the bears. People leave presents for the bears. And it's this whole huge distraction for the children who are like sitting at home, you know, waiting for Santa Claus or whatever they call him in the Czech Republic to come. And so instead of, you know, like having to wait, they go and they feed the bears cake. And it's this big, you know, Don't thing they that they... do they have Krampus out there? I think they do. Oh. Maybe. So... Bears the... are way better than that. And I think the pooping boy, too. The pooping boy? Uh, every Christmas, uh, they hide an ornament on the tree in Germany and some Czechoslovakian countries. Uh, they hide, uh, I think Spain does it too. They will hide an ornament of a little boy taking a shit. Whoever finds the little boy taking a shit first gets special. Uh, gets a special gift. Oh, I, the Irish have that too, but it's a pickle, not a boy mm-hmm, taking a dump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a very different things. In very modern, different things. In modern what? times... <laughs> Don't ruin pickles! <laughs> in modern times... You ruined everything else. <laughs> in modern times, they actually have like celebrity pooping boy ornaments. Like you can get a Barack Obama taking a shit, Spider-Man taking a poop. <laughs> we live Optimus. in a really weird world. I just want to say that Okay, right so now. somebody out there for Christmas, I want an ornament of somebody taking a shit. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I want. Gotcha. Get it for me. And gotcha. for Christmas, I want to have a moat around my house. <laughs> Filled with bears! No, no, no. Oh. Rabid platypi. Imagine the terror as somebody tries to, like, attack Castle Mort. The drawbridge goes up, and they look down, and it's like nothing but platypi foaming at the mouth and angry. <laughs> that would be pretty terrifying. Yeah. There's a real psychological... Like, you can deal with a bear. How the fuck are you going to deal with a platypus? An animal so ridiculous that the first time a European saw it, they thought somebody glued a duck bill to a beaver and tried to remove it. <laughs> it's also venomous. It has a rattlesnake fang for a foot. And it has rabies and is foaming at the mouth. Because they're mammals, so they can get rabies. Unless they're kind of like like the possum, where their body temperature is too low. I don't know. I'm not a platypatologist. <laughs> platypatologist. <laughs> I feel like you put way more thought into this 
than needed, but yeah. it's wonderful. Absolutely. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm not a platypatologist is almost definitely going to be the episode title. <laughs> All right. So now that we've spent some time with some cute bears and some cute festivals, let's go to Dusseldorf. Back to the murder time. Yay. Back to the murder time. He goes to Dusseldorf. Moves there, and it seems he basically lost the ability to be human again. He um, he said, uh, quote, the sunset was blood red on my return. And he essentially took that as a good omen for him to do very bad things. That he's just going to, you know, reign of terror and horror and awfulness. And it does happen. He has affairs with uh, a servant girl named Tied and a housemaid named Mech. And I like to think the housemaid mech was just like a severed head on a robot body. <laughs> it is a, like it's in a spell for, you know, those listening M-E-C-H. So mm-hmm. it is like short for, you know, mechanical. Yeah. So he, apparently pa- like a little pa- like a little valve on her shoulder that shows how much steam and you have to shovel coal into her ass. Apparently the vampire of Dusseldorf also lived in steampunk world. Absolutely. <laughs> it would be right about the right time. It would be. Yeah, you're correct. So, August, his wife, she finds out about these affairs, and she, basically, from what I understood, it was confusing in some places, but she apparently talked the girls into going to the police. One saying, you know, Curtin seduced her, that was Tied, she said he seduced her. Which was illegal at the time! Yeah, yeah. You, 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 I'm in big trouble! <laughs> <laughs> and, and Max says he raped her. The rape charges get dropped, but the, the charge of seduction and threatening behavior gets him eight months... He serves six, and they say, okay, you can leave. Which, there was, again, some weird phrasing here. One place said, you can leave early if you move to Dusseldorf. And I was like, I thought he was already there. What's happening? Where is everything happening? What's going on? I'm already upset, and now I'm confused, too. This is not pretty. this side of Dusseldorf. Yeah, well. We don't want you on this side. Decent size, so. Between 1925 and 1928, there are uh, four attacks on women... It says he was having sex with them, but I think it's entirely possible that he was also assaulting them and they weren't consenting, and he strangled them until they passed out, which they definitely didn't consent to that part, I'm pretty sure. And he also started burning shit, too. As, as Amber said earlier, he liked the idea that a transient person might, like, you know, he sets a barn on fire, runs away, and a transient person burns to death in there, and that, that really got his rocks off. Freak. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to kink shame too many people, but that particular one of of, of burning a homeless person is just that I think I think we can kink yeah. shame. So uh, what gets your rocks off? Uh, big tits? How about you? Uh, burning hobos. <laughs> <laughs> so here is where I run into my first of my. Okay, so obviously all the all the cheeseburger and everything is is horrifying, but um, very specific to my personal issues, I should state, I have. I haven't even talked to my therapist about this because other things keep on taking precedence, but I have a thing with scissors. Um, I do not, I, I can use them. Absolutely, I have no problem using them, but they always need to be put back where they belong. I don't like it when uh, the, the photographer that I work for, he can flip scissors and, and like box cutters and stuff and, and then catch them and it, that freaks me out. He also has like eight pairs of scissors within like you can just turn in a 360 degree circle and it's like scissors, 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 scissors. I'm like, this is my nightmare. I have a big problem with scissors and it's only developed in the past couple of years. And Amber has something funny to say about my problem. I bet it has something to do with lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You were right. I actually saw it in her eyes as soon yeah. as I said scissors. Yeah. So it was when she said it multiple times, and I was like, "It's a lesbian orgy." <laughs> scissors, 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 scissors. <laughs> so I'm just gonna go ahead. 
I'm just going to go ahead and read this directly from my notes so that you can understand my reaction when I read this, because it did take me by surprise. I didn't know to expect this. On February 3rd, 1921, he is stalking a woman named Apollonia Kuhn, and he stabs her 24 times with a sharpened pair of... Oh, fuck no! Literally, you know, uh, here you go, uh, Twitch. I don't know if I can get it close enough, but... No, it says, ah, oh, fuck no. Oh, it literally does. Say, literally oh, says, ah, fuck, oh, no. yeah. fuck no. Um, and uh, yeah, I had a problem with that. I just kind of sat there in my chair and I went, oh, God. Ah. See, now, this this was a little bit of confusion for me. And it took me, took me about 15 minutes to figure out exactly what's going on. Written down, it said that, that Curtin grabbed Coon before he stabbed her with the scissors and said, no, Roe, don't scream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, row. Row as in. Don't scream. Row as in a struggle or fight. Mm -hmm. No, row. Don't scream. Yeah, that phrasing does make it a little confusing. Took me a second. So she actually, she has very deep wounds, as one might imagine, uh, as as one might imagine, but she does survive. We have little occasional moments of, of like, just the tiniest, tiniest little bright spot where this happens. And Tough sometimes where broad. we think it's going to happen and it doesn't, as we'll get to. Tough broad. She was stabbed 24 times. 24 times with a Se- sharpened pair of, ah, oh, fuck no. Several of those uh, deep, deep wounds struck bone. Yeah, I kept that out of my notes. I was uncomfortable already. That bone is better than cheeseburgers. Uh, ah! Just saying. So later he would say that he would return to that scene repeatedly in the future and uh, would get gain sexual pleasure. How about that? There we is. can just say that. There. Why didn't we do that earlier? Why were you confusing cheeseburgers in so many different ways when we could have just said gain sexual pleasures? I've we could have been. I, I started with something and I kept going with it. Okay. All I'm right. A, a stick to it kind of guy. <laughs> His next murder is on February 8th, 1929, so only five days later. And it's Rosa Oliger. She is eight years old. She is just walking down the street, being an eight-year-old, when he stabs her 13 times, tosses her under a hedge, and then comes back later and tries to set her in the hedge on fire. And once again... While the fire was going at it, and when it reached its peak, he reached his peak, um, which is just, again, uh, just honestly, I'm reading verbatim from my notes. So fucking gross. Fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. This is the most editorializing I think I've ever done in my notes. It's actually kind of kind of funny to me. Her body was found the next day. And here we get into another one of Christie's special things, eyes. I have problems with eye things. Um, going to the eye doctor is uh, can be problematic for me every time I try to do even the test, not even the puff of air test, just the test where you're like looking into the thing and there's a balloon and you're supposed to like tell them, you know, where it is. The one where they take a picture of your eye. They try so many times and eventually they just give up. And I think they might have even put false results down. Just to yeah, this bitch has got glaucoma. She's going to have to live with it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, and, and I, I realized it, it, it wasn't until I took my, my dad in for um, glaucoma. Uh, I think it was a glaucoma removal. The little puff of air. Yeah, that's glaucoma. No, but he had um, cataract. Cataract. Cataract removal and uh, lens implantation. And then the next day we had to go in for him to get a checkup and he's like squirming. Like, it took like them eight tries to even be able to look at his eye. And I was like, oh, I can't buy that, honestly. <laughs> so I, I, I'm the same way, though, whenever I have my eyes tested. Like it's like it's like I'm watching a puppy 
like just like not able to find his mother and whimpering because no matter what they put that thing up my eyes start watering mm -hmm. and i think it's the problem is i'm focused on my eyes because they're starting to water right fucking now mine i just i can't keep them open i'm, I'm literally up there against the machine like peeling my eye open and it still doesn't work so yeah, and then today I actually got my eyebrows waxed, and it was the worst it's ever been. It's not even that painful. It, does, it doesn't. It's not the pain, but I was literally having a panic attack just because of having so recently, you know, been subjected to like eye horror, which is what I'm going to go ahead and call this. What happens next? Um, so uh, again, to read directly from my notes, February thirteenth <laughs> in the suburb of Flingern Nord, which is probably the best place name I've ever read, Flingern Nord. Love it. He, uh, I don't love what happens next. If I ever have a kid, that's going to be another kid. That's going to be his name. So, Carter, if, if I have another sibling for you, which I will never, ever do, <laughs> his name will be Flinger Nord. Yes, absolutely. I support this. I absolutely support this. <laughs> so, he stabs a 45-year-old mechanic named Rudolf Scheer over 20 times, especially around the head, back, and... Oh, fuck! Noise! Oh, fuck! To read directly from my notes mm. once again. Or uh, in the eyes, for those of you that didn't yeah, understand. It actually did happen, <laughs> but I was trying to deny it and say, no, 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 don't let this happen. But it was uh, 90 years ago, so uh, I'm a little too late. <laughs> so, yeah, once again, he returns to the scene of the crime. And this time, dude's got some brass balls on him or just doesn't care. He talks to the police. So, uh... Oh, I heard about the murder via telephone, that new uh, fantastical instrument that, uh, that that Edison guy uh, didn't create. I think it was actually Bell that did that. Uh, so, uh, guy was pretty good, pretty thorough, uh, stabbing, stabbing the eyes and everything. Nope, telephone. Telephone again. Yeah, totally heard about that on the phone. Totally, totally was not here at all. So, uh, where are you going to be looking for this guy at so I can not be there? Yeah, yeah. And uh, this actually came up uh, during, uh, so yeah, during the, the, the trial, eventually, this detective, w who did not hold much information back at all, was not, again, we were finding cops not really great at doing their job with the crime fighting. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. That yeah. is a big secret. If you just kind of shut up and let somebody keep talking and keep talking, if you can give, like, an uncomfortable amount of silence, people feel the need to fill it. Oh, very much so, yes. Yeah. That's a trick that I've learned talking to customers on the phone. That's a fun game to play. Yeah. <laughs> Just, why isn't my cable working? Well, there's an outage. See, I'm uncomfortable see? Yeah, <laughs> see? See what I mean? That's an incredible amount of uncomfortableness. You feel the need to fill that. Yeah. And a lot of times they go, I need credit. We only give credit after 24 hours. And then another long silence. And then it's just like, okay, well, thank you for calling Comcast and have a wonderful day. That's actually one reason why we do the verbal pauses of, um, uh, like, you know, those particular things. They're, they're little filler, not even words. Because we don't like even the tiniest pause. So while we're stopping to think, we have to fill that space with that word. And then it just becomes a habit. Absolutely. And it's it's a great little habit to have. If you can enjoy the silence and just let it, people will give you all sorts of wonderful information. Love the silence. Enjoy the silence. Personally, I thrive off of making other people uncomfortable. I'll tell you. And the, I think the great thing is, I really believe the silence is nobody likes to be alone with themselves. <laughs> That is true. Yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. And 
I use it when I'm doing mock interviews with my students. I'll just sit there and, you know, they'll come to the instance and I just sit there. It's really hard for me because I need I need to feel the need to fill that silence too and also to help them out and I'll just like sit there and wait for them to continue and maybe they'll offer up more information. Well, so. if you would ever like, I will come and stare at your students from the corner of the room. Awesome. Yes. Come, come to my class next Tuesday. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be outside the window. <laughs> Double whammy. <laughs> I'm actually having the interviews in my office, so it'll be super uncomfortable. <laughs> just me, like my head, like every 20 seconds, just peeking up, looking back and forth, and dipping back down. <laughs> but make sure they can see your forehead at least the whole time. <laughs> entire right. time. Coming back to it. Nope. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the detective even confirmed that he had talked to... Curtin, during during the trial, he confirmed this. So he at least he was truthful. Which, you know, he and could have held back. It's not the first time. The Zodiac Killer, well, that maybe this was the first maybe, time. Maybe, yeah. But the Zodiac Killer did the same thing. He sent a message going like, I was there. I talked to the police. <laughs> you didn't catch me. And you know what? You still don't fucking know who I am. And he was right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ted Cruz's father. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have a direct quote from... A Crime Library article by Alexander Gilbert that I would like to share. Please. Quote, shortly after the spate of violations, an idiot named Stausberg was arrested for assaulting two women with a noose, end quote. And I would like you to know that Crime Library didn't come around until the mid-90s. So what the hell? We weren't calling people with any sort of, you know, like disability or, you know, like mental illness idiots then, were we? Idiot is actually... Idiot's older than that, and we stopped doing that. So I sat there and I was just like, what the hell? Idiot's actually actually a technical term. Well, it was, like the R word was. Mm-hmm. But we stopped using, I think, idiot as a technical term long before people stopped using the R word even as a casual way. I, or I paused still at use least. it on a daily basis. And I've asked everybody not to, but nobody listens. <laughs> no, no, not that one. Idiot. Mm. Okay, I was going to say, I never hear you say that, but okay, must, you, you just no. censor yourself around so, me. So, like, I actually... Call I use people, idiot on a... I, I, not on a daily basis, but I, I use it as well, and I don't think about those connotations even, so it was surprising to me to see it in that context. I use it so often that my kids in the car will start yelling at other cars, Idiot, move! Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I called uh, I called somebody in a truck an idiot today because there were varying speeds so much down my road that I was like, oh, my gosh, can we pick one? Pick one! I think anybody... I think the actual technical term... And I'm a little confused on the ages. Anybody with the intelligence level below a two-year-old or a ten-year-old, I'm thinking it's two-year-old, is technically classified as an idiot. I don't think that's now. Originally. Originally, Originally. yeah. But this this man, Stausberg, uh, the police accused him of Curtin's attacks, and he gave a false confession, quote, for some reason, end quote, which been listening to a lot of true crime podcasts lately and the investigative ones, and many of them will go into instances of false confession. So there, the, the for some reason, can be for a lot of different reasons. It can be pressure from the police, obviously. It can be sometimes higher pressure, like, you know, torture or something like that. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying that's one of the possible reasons. It can be some people, they just, they've spent 10 hours in that, uh, in that police station they just want to go home and there's some part of their brain that says, if you just agree with them, you can go home. Even though that's the exact opposite of what's going to happen. If you just agree with them, you can go to jail. So, yeah, it's it's very much a, a weird psychological thing that when I look at it, kind of terrifies me. The, the, the amount of false confessions that actually happen. 
So, I mean, it's part of the reason that, like, the Innocence Project and stuff like that exists is to, because, you know, in addition to DNA now being a thing and you can get people exonerated who many years ago I feel like that's the main thing is because DNA is now a thing. DNA, but they also, like, the false confessions will come up frequently because it it, it is a problem with, with some of the interrogation methods that they use. Yeah, and Curtin was leaving so much behind blood, skin cells, semen. My God, like, if they had been... had DNA, he would have been he would have been in jail within minutes. He probably would have been in jail at the age of five. Yeah, 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 yeah fair. Uh, and so Stausberg, uh, after he gave this false confession, he was taken to an asylum. I don't know if there was any sort of court proceeding that occurred with this, or if they were just picked him up and carried him and took him away. I'm willing to bet the latter. Probably the latter. Germany, you know, 19, 1920s, sounds about right. So between March and July of 1929, Curtin tried to strangle four women. And this is according to his own confessions. These, a lot of these attacks ended up not getting reported. He even threw one into the Rhine River. Classy, classy fuckhead. So- now, now, the thing that a lot of people are probably already seeing is that he doesn't have a type. Men, women, adults, children, animals. Mm-hmm. He does not have a type. And it was this variety of attacks that actually kind of saved his ass for a long time because the police are going like, maybe it's 12 people. Yeah. Maybe we're looking for 15 different serial killers. Maybe but- it's 52 elves in a trench coat <laughs> all jumped up and made to look like one person. But he knew that and he did this on purpose. Yeah. He switched his murder weapon not once but twice. Knowing that they're going to start thinking it's copycats or other people. Sometimes he would strangle. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he would molest. Sometimes he would not. Just to try to keep all these people on their toes thinking that it's multiple killers and not just him. Because it is those similarities that are the reasons that they make connections. You know, similar murder weapons, similar victim type. I will say that... Not across the board, and we don't know for sure because, like, some of the victims, we don't know anything about them. Some, we even if we know their name, Rudolf Scheer, we don't know exactly. But I will say we do see a lot of people, vulnerable populations, uh, a lot of uh, domestic servants, you know, a lot of housemaids. And, and they, they're they calling, like, a 31-year-old woman a servant girl. But then in another article, she said, they said she was 13. I was like, somewhere those numbers got transposed, and I can't figure out where. But, yeah, so it, a lot of vulnerable... He, he goes after the prey that tends to be easiest frequently. And children, of course. You know, that's, that's the, the easiest of prey for a monster like this. So, around August 8th of this year, he... Oh. Yeah. Oh, this is the one that really fucking bothers me. This is... I had to walk away for a while. He meets a girl named Maria Hahn... Um, or in some cases it says he stalked her for a week prior to this. They arrange a date for August 11th. They spend some time together that day and then he takes her to a meadow. It's just the worst place for this to happen. Strangles her, stabs her in the chest and then sits on her body, sits astride on her chest while she begs for her life. And the attack lasts for about an hour before she dies. This woman suffered horribly and it is absolutely brutal. Do you guys want to talk? Somebody else want to talk about what he did with the the, the body and all that stuff because I I need to take a break. No problem. (laughs) I'm going to be here, but I'm I'm just going to let you guys take the wheel for a little while. Or if Jesus could take the wheel, that would be great. He's not here. (laughs) 
<laughs> He's definitely not in this room right now, I guarantee you. So, now, this is this is the first time that he actually resorted to cannibalism, if I'm correct. I believe so. I know that he was, he was very meticulous about it. He actually got rid of his clothes. His clothes were bloody. He didn't want his wife to go, oh, okay, you're coming home with bloody clothes. Yeah, well, she was, she was working the late shift at the time, so he could get away with this without his wife knowing. But I actually have a note in here that he drank so much of her blood that he actually vomited. Mm-hmm. Here's where it gets really icky. If that oh, wasn't icky. that wasn't icky. Because that, that was pleasant. That was rainbows and sunshine and, and puppy pizza dogs. sauce. Compared to what's going to happen next, it is a, it's <laughs> a goddamn dream. Yep. He returns a little while later, like a few weeks, and digs up her corpse. He intends to take take Maria's corpse and crucify it onto a tree to kind of send a message. And the message is, this making my dick hard. Yep, pretty um, much. Yeah, it's this bullshit about, oh, the society did me wrong. This is all sexual gratification. Fuck the rest of this. Her remains, her rotting remains are too heavy for him to move. So he kind of like... Takes the corpse and brings it back to the grave and lies down in the grave and cuddles with her dead body on top of him. Worst cuddle puddle ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I made it worse. Yes, I always do that. I always do that. Yeah. Cuddle oh. puddle with remains that are I'm... decomposing, probably actually a puddle. He stuck his finger in it. I know it was uh, my idea, but I'm going to quit the podcast now. So you guys have fun. All right. And I'll uh, I'll see you when you're done. So here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to go I'm going to go scream into a pillow. Here's the thing. Everybody has the visual. But you're not really getting the visual. You're picturing, Wait, I don't think they need to. I think they do cuz I really want them to get this. Why? I, I want them to realize the smell, okay. the taste. Do you have a therapist you should maybe be talking I to about this? Do. <laughs> I want them to realize the fact that there are still small animals and insects living in Maria at this time. But why? Why do we need to? We can gloss over some things, I think. Yes, I feel like we should continue on. Forging ahead. Not editing that out. <laughs> I can change the passwords. <laughs> I'm just saying. And I can probably change them back. That's tied to my phone numbers. All right. So on the timeline, <laughs> I'm going to break you two apart Get for a minute. <laughs> now on the timeline, is our next thing on the timeline the fair? Um, I have... He did... Okay. Before the fair, I'm not entirely sure exactly when this is on the timeline because I don't have a date for it. But this is the point where I have he switched over to a knife for See, misdirection purposes. I have I have that date as August 21st. Okay, so that would be two days before the fair. Right. So two days before the fair, he decides he's going to change his murder weapon. No more scissors. Now we've gone to a knife because mm-hmm. we want to throw everybody off the trail. I'm also pretty relieved at the moment. <laughs> <Hooray>. <laughs> But only for a second. Only for a second. It gets worse. He stabs three people in the early morning slash late night. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's that idea of it being like 1 a.m., which for some people it's like this is early in the morning. For some people, you know, if you're still awake at that time, you're like, well, this is still, it's still yesterday in my mind. 
So, um, like, what I got from that is he pretty much, like, grabs a knife, goes outside, and stabs the first three people he comes across. And kind- they're all different, and he does not care. Yeah. That's kind of what I get. It's like, I got a busy day ahead of me. I got to find a girl, a man, and a woman. <laughs> yep. And I got me a knife. And I got me an erection that I don't know what to do with. 18-year-old girl, 30-year-old man, 37-year-old woman. Talk about varying up the victims. They were all very wounded, but at least, you know, it didn't say anywhere that they died. So I'm assuming that they all survived. They all three survived, and they all said their attacker came up to them and just started fucking stabbing. No words. There was one report that he said, good evening. And then just started stabbing them in the ribs and back. No, oh, well. no, that's funny. I'm sorry, that's hilarious. Good evening. Good evening. Stab, 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 stab. If you guys could all just picture us like <laughs> making the stabbing motions, it's it's funny. This is really why you need to be on Twitch to watch <laughs> me actually. Like that filled the entire screen. My arm making stabbing motions. This is horrifying. <laughs> so the fair, <sighs> worst fair ever. At least for two foster sisters. Yes. And their families, I'm sure. Well, I mean, they were foster kids. Go ahead, Amber. <laughs> no, I'm just here for the commentary, really. I'm, I'm just here Then what do you it. have notes for? Oh, shit, fine. <laughs> All right. Join in the trauma. <laughs> I don't want to. All right, so um, there was a fair, two foster sisters, uh, Louise, aged 14, and I didn't get the other ones. Is it five-year-old Gertrude? Gertrude. It is another Gertrude. Another yeah. Gertrude. Louise Lenson. Who is uh, very young. 14. And, 14. And then the even Gertrude younger, Hamaker. She is five. Hamaker is the name that would eventually become Haymaker in America. Oh, okay. oh interesting. So these, these two little girls, they're together. They're foster sisters. They are walking kind of behind the trailers at the fair. They're on their way home. He joins them. He offers money to the 14-year-old Louise to run and get him some cigarettes. He offers her uh, 20 fennig, which was basically pennies that were barely used at this point in time. 20 fennig, that is, the modern equivalent of that is 42 flicklies. Yes, exactly. So while 14-year-old Louise runs to get him some cigarettes, he... um, he, he strangled five-year-old Gertrude and then slit her throat. And uh, when Louise came back, he then strangled and almost decapitated her with his pocket knife. Which is almost impressive. I mean, if you think about it. that's Yeah, that's, that's definitely something. Um, neither girl, if you're looking for any ray of hope or relief, uh, apparently neither girl was sexually assaulted. So at least there is that... That's At what I have. Amber. Okay. Did I pick the absolute worst one to pin on you being a mother? Being the Maybe. only parent in the room? Maybe. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I thought of that as you start getting into that, and I was like, oh, I'm a horrible person completely by accident. No, no. Peter Curtin's a horrible person. Yes, yes, yes. We're just true. reporting on it. I, I have a uh, I'm sorry. A I apologize. Four year old little girl and a sixteen year old bigger girl who is actually listening right now. So yes, that that one is pretty I, I, horrifying to me. I apologize. I'm really sorry. It didn't even occur it's to me okay. until we got into it that I was like, oh God, I hate myself a little. No, right. okay. <laughs> if anything, she's going to keep a, a tight oh, eye on him from now on. No, no. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Carter actually has a knife on her, so I would be more <laughs> afraid for anyone that would try to approach her. Watch out, Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The, Maybe I should not have said that. <laughs> the, the attacker was cut into eight equal sized pieces. <laughs> 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 I've seen her cut pizza. I know they were not equally sized. 
Oh, I'm glad that we can get out of that. I'm really sorry again, Amber. I'm going to be apologizing for that one for like ever. You're good. You're good. I feel terrible. So the very next day, we have a housemaid named, any guesses? Gertrude. Gertrude. I wanted to make it a three-part harmony thing, so let's try it again. Gertrude. 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 Gertrude Schulte. She's 27. Uh, She's being hounded by this guy demanding sex from her. And uh, she says, I'm giving her many props for this, I'd rather die. He says, well, die then. Then stabs her around the head, neck, shoulder, and back. She survives. And this is really the first description we get of him, which isn't terribly helpful. She survived that? She did. Women don't listen to anything men tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) There's a reason for that. Uh Let me tell you. It's because you guys go around doing this shit. (laughs) I'm Gunnis. (laughs) Yeah, you can pull one or two female serial killers out. I can pull... 30 million men. Elizabeth Bathory. Honestly, women are better at not getting caught. Yeah. And also, I really picture this Gertrude at his trial going, ha ha, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Waving those middle fingers like they're, what are they, never mind. I'm not going to try to make the joke if I can't I'm think going, of the words. I'm going to try to find the book. I'm going to try to find the book. But the argument, the argument the author made was that there are just as many female serial killers as there are male serial killers. But female killers tend to use poison to distance themselves from it. Men tend to be more hands-on. And I mean, he had, like, even by, like, decade, it's like, here's your most prolific female serial killers, or female killers, poisoners. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of like, you know, it kind of lined up where it was almost a 50-50 match. It makes sense, though, because men are the physically stronger sex. Women are sneakier and a little more evil. Yeah. I mean that's very much generalizing. It's it's poison. <laughs> it's poison because it's out of necessity. Because we're we're not powerful enough in many cases, yeah. not in all, but physically we're not powerful enough. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But still, I'm going to demand sources on that. Fair, fair yeah, enough. I'm I, going to. I'm I going always to, demand citations. I am <laughs> going to. I'm going to go home, find the book, figure out what it is. Absolutely. And get yeah. back to you. Fantastic. I would. I would. I would love to see it. Obviously, yeah. I have. A slight interest in this area, so you know, I'm just it's tiny, tiny, okay, one, moving tiny on. one. <laughs> moving on. So yes, she survives and she describes him as pleasant, around forty years old, but isn't really able to give much else. As he pleasant was fucking, looking. Pleasant looking, I should as, say. Not as, pleasant. Not when he said, Well die then and then stabbed her. As he as he was stabbing me in the face. He was so polite. He was, a, he was very concerned for my my well being as he stabbed me in the face and shoulders. Quite the gentleman <laughs> he was. <laughs> So there are, in September, two more attempted murders, one a strangulation, one a stabbing. So we see, again, the switch, 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 back and forth, back and forth, really throwing the police off. And honestly, there is part of me that says, yeah, it was maybe to throw the police off. But there's part of me that that knowing his penchant for immediate gratification thinks... Maybe it's just whatever he feels like in the moment. Whatever he thinks is going to get him off, whatever he thinks is going to make him feel good or make him feel satisfied, and that's what he does. If he feels like it's strangulation, oh, that, then he goes for it. If he feels like it's, a, it's stabbing, grab the knife. I have a bit of a theory about this. That he was also gay, but 19, like 1910 and 1920s Germany was more willing to accept a serial killer who got off on killing women than a gay man. See, I don't really see any real evidence for... Neither do I. It's just a theory. (laughs) (laughs) Theories generally have some sort of 
proof to back them up, but he okay, we'll allow some it. Men. We'll allow it. He, he, he won. Um, I think it's hard to keep track. Honestly, it really it, it's is. really hard to keep track. I was started to feel like I, this one. I definitely needed the wall, the serial killer wall. I was like looking at my index cards, and I was like, I have a lot of string because I cross stitch, so I could, I could rock this. Yeah, I could do this, but I don't want to spend any more time with this than I have to because this is horrifying. So, on September thirtieth. Ida Reuter, she's a 31-year-old servant. Here again, we have it. Uh, she meets Curtin at the... I'm going to go for it, all right? Okay, here it is. The Dusseldorf Hauptbahnhof, which is the central train station, essentially. And she agrees to go for a drink at a cafe and then a walk, at which point he uh, sexually assaults her and beats her to death with a hammer. Mm -hmm. New weapon! Yep. He, he said cheeseburger there. He's showing Amber his notes where he said cheeseburgers her. No, his note is fantastic. Made cheeseburgers Cosby style. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best one yet. Thank you. I love your notes. <laughs> Thank you. So then on October 11th, uh, another servant... Elizabeth Dorier, she's 22. She has almost the exact same experience. We see lots of repetition happening, like with the 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 10-year-old and then the 17-year-old burglarizing houses. And it almost is, unless he was stalking those girls, that seemed accidental. That seemed like, oh, well, I was just burglarizing another house and I just found another girl, and you know, I'll just I'll just kill her too, like I did the last one. I and, feel like he just strolls around and whenever he sees like a girl emptying emptying like a chamber pot into the street, he's like gonna do that one exactly yeah he seems but he also seems to find this he he seems to like trying to find different methods of of getting his prey like the cigarettes thing you know buy me some cigarettes and i'll give you some money that was that was brand new as far as we know and he was very detailed in his confessions so i don't think there's a whole lot we don't know this is true and so this this pattern he, he'll 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 go from pattern to pattern to pattern even as far as his approach so he, he uses the exact same approach with Elizabeth Dorier, who's 22. And I had a moment because uh, he hits her on both temples with the hammer in various locations around her head. And then the article said, but he leaves her for dead. And I was like, oh, that means she survives. Well, for like 24 more hours. Yeah. So I literally, uh, again, verbatim from my notes, leaves her for dead and she survives! Exclamation point. No, she doesn't. God damn it! Found in a coma the next morning, dies without ever waking up. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, that ray of hope was very quickly just... So on October 25th, two more hammer attacks on two women. Both of them make it, and the hammer actually breaks during the second attack, which is, like, the reason that that woman survived. But at the same time, you're doing some pretty vicious, brutal beating on somebody if they hammer breaks I like or it's a horribly constructed hammer and you need to switch hardware stores I like to think that it was just weakened by the other attacks that's also possible yeah yeah, yeah but still that that also is brutal beating if, you, yeah. if it's enough to weaken a hammer have you ever broken a hammer yeah I grew up like in a farming community hell yeah I've broken three or four hammers some pickaxe handles yeah it's it seems a lot to me but then again I can't even get a nail in straight so uh, that's that's me so, uh, November 7th, what's her name? Gertrude. 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 Who hurt you that was named Gertrude? Seriously, right? Yeah. Did we find out his mom's name? I did not. And I don't think he picks people up by name. He just seems to sometimes, a lot of the time, it, it tends to be random. I wonder if there was a celebrity, like a famous celebrity at the time named Gertrude, that people were just naming their kids after. It's entirely possible. We should, uh, we should look that up. Absolutely. So, November 7th, Gertrude Alberman... I feel bad that we sang her name when she's five years old. 
she was stang she was strangled and then stabbed with scissors from my notes fucking a back to the scissors and tarot bang she falls to the ground and then he stabs her 34 times and this is, you will be relieved to hear, his last fatal attack. It's horrifying that she died, but it's at least good that we don't have any more to come. So we have gotten over it, and my headline for this next section is, the fucking jig is almost fucking up. Yeah. It's at this point, well, close to this point, it's kind of the summer of 1929, yeah. that the media dubs him the Vampire of Dusseldorf. And even... Like the police believe this be, to be multiple perp perpetrators. The uh, the police press everybody. Everybody thinks this is more than one person. At the end of 1929, the police have in their possession 13,000 letters from the public that they each painstakingly pursued leads on, 9,000 interviews, 2,650 clues for them to work on, and an incredible. 900,000 names on their suspect list. Do you want to talk population? Yeah. In uh, 1911, the population... I, I wasn't able to get um, like specifics to Dusseldorf populations for around this exact year, but I can give you 1911, the population was only 312,000. And in 2015, it was only 592,000. So we can't imagine it was more than that. So it might have been... The, the population of the city itself might have been around... Um, a third of what the actual, or a little over a third of what the actual suspect list was. I just like to, like to think like the police chief, like some guy coming up to him, who are our suspects? Everyone! Three times! Yes, yes. <laughs> and so Dusseldorf is also the capital of the state of North Rhine-Westphalia. That, and I was able to get a specific number for because it's a larger area, in 1930, had a population of 11,407,000. So if we're going to get mathy up in here, the suspect list at that point in time was 7.8% of the entire state's population. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking a suspect list, like, so you think 7.8%, okay, that's not big, a, a, a big chunk of the state, but it's a suspect list. If your entire suspect list is 17, or sorry, 7.8% of a state's population, that's a lot of fucking suspects. That I've said 900,000, but just to put it into perspective, that's a a lot of like every like one, almost one out of every 10 people who walk by you on the street is on that list in the entire yeah. state and everybody thinks it's multiple people except for one badass motherfucker Ernst Gennant he ties all the murders together and the attacks he's the Berlin police chief inspector and what happens was there was a map and a letter sent to the communist newspaper Freedom that had uh, d d details of how to get to Gertrude Alberman's body, the last fatal uh, attack. And her body was found there. And previous to that, there had been a letter and a map to the police with instructions for how to get to Marie Hahn's body. And they brought in a graphologist, handwriting expert, who looked at the two letters and he was like, yeah, that, that's your guy. Not that, in both cases. No, I'm serious. In both cases, that's your guy. And yeah, and, and Ernst Gannat ties almost all of it together. There still were some that he would, you know, admit to later that they hadn't even tied to him. It's it's pretty, I mean, we see how everything was so varied. Uh, Gannat, this was an amazing individual. He is probably the first person to use the term serial killer. Hmm. He, he referred to him as a Syrian murder. 
Oh. Which is German, of course, for serial killer. He is also credited with developing profiling way before, like, the guys who are, you know, the series Mindhunter is based off of. He developed profiling, and he is the inspiration for Fritz Lang's Inspector Carl Lohmann. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, this is the guy... Because we, we see a lot of the other cops not doing so hot as far as this is concerned. Oh, PK, he must have borrowed it from his brother. What the hell? Do I have to do all your work for you? Yeah, right? Fine, I will. <laughs> so from February to May 1930, there were more strangling and hammer attacks, but no deaths. Uh, just just 10 people maimed. I mean, that's no big deal. Just and 10. Just 10 people maimed. That's nothing in the grand scheme of the holy fuckness of this. And um, they all... But... So they all survived, and so they were all able to describe him to the police. And then we have this whole crazy shit that happens. This is taking me back to the cockroach. Mm -hmm. Albert Fish. Albert Fish. The Basically, the, the, the cockroach that ended up getting Albert Fish caught. And it's very similar. Let's not even forget, Grace Budd was his victim that got caught, and now we have... 20-year-old Maria Budlick. Mm -hmm. Oh, ooh, yeah. weird. Yeah. Very weird. So she is at Dusseldorf Station. I decided not to be pretentious and say it in German again. Or <laughs> also, I didn't want to write it in German again. It was probably what happened. So many of the names I had had this weird thing that looked like an uppercase B, but wasn't. <laughs> Oh, when I tried to transpose the or copy and paste the link from the, mm -hmm. the Wikipedia article over to my, my document, it turned into this whole mess of like percentages and everything because of the umlaut. That's all that did. Just that, that one umlaut over the U just screwed the whole URL up. And I was like, I don't want to mess with this. So I'm just going <laughs> to write it out myself. Um, so Marie Budluck, she's at Dusseldorf Station. She had come there looking for a job. And this is where, okay, so a man comes up to her, all right? And he says, hey, you're looking for a job. I'll take you to a hostel, find you a place to stay for the night. You know, you first come to a city, you're, you're looking for a place to stay when it's a brand new place. And he starts taking her through a deserted park and she freaks out. Another man comes up and says, you know, hey, is this guy, is this guy bugging you? And she says, yeah, yeah, he is. And this yeah. is the part of the movie where you've only seen the men from the back and the camera swings around to the helpful guy and it's Fucking Peter Curtin. You love stealing my reveals. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You did it better than I could. <laughs> Thank you. I like the, the camera thing. That was very good. So, like, uh, as long as you keep doing them better than I can, which I'll just literally, just, like, I'm not going to come up with visual metaphors like that. <laughs> uh, I'm not good at it, but it, it, keep doing it better, and I will forgive you every time. <laughs> I'm forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> so, the knight in shining armor is Peter Curtin. Mm -hmm. Is the monster. The knight in shining armor is the fucking monster. It really is in most cases, but we just made it prettier. But in this case, like, seriously, I'm looking at this, I'm reading this account, and I'm like, this woman is, in this moment, the unluckiest woman in Dusseldorf, Germany, maybe the world. I disagree. She she does survive, but she, in this in this moment, literally yeah. in this moment where she gets away from one potential predator and falls into the arms of the, much worse, much worse. We don't well, even know who the first guy was, but I can guarantee you. Peter Curtin's much worse. The sad part is, though, is she was so nervous because she knew about the vampire of Dusseldorf. And then he's the one who, quote unquote, saves her. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely bad Irony. shit. Irony. 
Um, and ebony. Never <laughs> in perfect harmony. I needed that laugh, thank you. You're I welcome. needed that laugh. It's all still built up in my chest right now, and I think my shoulders are touching my ears. So, okay, give me one second. Everybody, oh, actually, everybody, I would like everybody, even you at Pizza Hut, everybody take your shoulders, bring them, draw them all the way up to your ears, all right? So, all the way up, and then very slowly release down, down, down we go until they're kind of like sloped and fully relaxed. No, nope, it's still there. Fills your, it fills my body with this feeling of, I don't give a fuck. And it's wonderful. Back to Maria. Back to Maria, yes. Um, she basically, <laughs> Peter Curtin says, come back to my place. And so she goes, and then it's obvious what he wants, and she says, I'm not down to fuck, so I'm, uh, I would like to go somewhere else. There were different accounts in different places. I'm going to go with one so as not to cause confusion. He attempts to strangle her. She screams. He lets go and actually lets her escape, but only once she says that she doesn't remember his address. So some of this doesn't necessarily happen in the apartment. I believe it happens as he's actually taking her to a hostel, supposedly. That's actually what I have, is is that he was he was leading her away to find somewhere else to stay. There was woods. He grabbed her, raped her, and then led her back to the tram before letting her go. Yeah, and she I, did... Because he, she screamed that he actually... And it was only because she said she didn't remember his address, mm. which is key, because she's a smart cookie, this girl. She knew. She knew where he lived. At the very least, she, she knew the street. So, But she doesn't go to the police, is the thing, which you're not, you don't have a lot of power. And also, something like this happens, even today, today, in America, something like this happens to you. And psychologically, it takes a lot to process and to actually come to terms with it and put a name on what happened. And we have names for it. And back then, they didn't even necessarily, you know, might not have even called it rape. Well, and, and there was a stigma to being a victim. Yes, exactly. There's so many different issues and so many different reasons. I do not blame her one bit for not going forward. I would not blame any sort of sexual assault victim today for not going forward. It is the most difficult thing you can do because so many times the police don't believe you. Or, of course, it's the usual cliche of, well, what were you wearing? Were you drunk? And so, yeah, I don't blame her one bit. But what happens is she does send a letter to a friend describing what happens or what had happened with, uh, with Peter Curtin. The letter had the wrong address. So either a clerk at the post office or the person who accidentally received it, one way or the other, somebody received this letter, opens it, reads it, and is just like, oh, shit, I think I need an adult. <laughs> and if that adult was wearing a police cap, that would be really helpful right now. And then the camera pans around, and it's Peter Curtin! <laughs> Peter Curtin in a police cap! <laughs> so she, the police get the letter. They get a hold of Marie Budlick. They get her to talk. She says, I've got the address. She takes the police to the room where he's staying. Landlady's like, yep, yeah, yep, he lives here. He shows up while she's there. And then he sees she's with, like, a couple of men who look kind of vaguely coppish. And he's like, ah, I'm going to nope right the fuck out of here. Smoke bomb and gone. Mm -hmm. And he, after that, goes to his wife and confesses to the, the rape of Marie Budluck. And then after a few days, he's like, all right, and there was this other stuff, you know, like, you know, this is, it's so silly, you know. Like, Blood there was, is really tasty. And <laughs> and also, it, it, it makes me cheeseburger. Mm -hmm. And there were some scissors. Did you notice the bloody scissors when you were wrapping the presents last Christmas? I thought you would have noticed. Why didn't you say something? I would have totally explained it with the fact that I stabbed someone 24 times with them. 
Okay, rage, 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 rage. Okay, all right, rage, letting it out, letting it out, shaking my head. So uh, he says, I did all these things. I am the vampire of Dusseldorf. Now you, you, you go and you get the reward. Because basically, according to him at least, she was more worried about him going to jail and leaving her with no income than about all the victims, or at least it was never mentioned. Maybe, although that could have been, we received this from his lens. From his lens, he doesn't care about the victims either. So if at any point in time, she said, all these poor people that you killed, men, women, children, or, you know, harmed or completely traumatized in one way or the other, you know, what about them? What about their lives and their families? And in his mind, that's just, that's just, like, that's just white fucking noise. It's you know my, that's, that's my thinking, is that we're, she was very repentant and very guilty about what she had done. So I don't see her not thinking of the victims. I just see him not even hearing it. See, I find a lot of what is left out of this story is the wife's counterpoint to it and what abuses she probably went through. So finding out that he was going to jail, yes, she was probably scared because she didn't have an income anymore, but she was probably relieved because there had to be some level of weird abuse... Again, from his perspective, we hear that he was very solicitous of his wife, that he was very kind to her, and that is the one, like, weird spot. And it he does admit to so much that it's like, okay, well, why wouldn't he admit to spousal abuse? But at the same time, again, so much of it is so detailed, and it comes straight from his mouth, that can we trust the source? Yeah. I think this is probably the last person on earth I would trust. I'd trust him as far as the details of the murders he confessed to, because, you know, they, they were able to match a lot of it up. I don't trust anything that you could say, well, he never said he, he abused his wife. Well, that may have just been, you know, a, a Tuesday, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's Tuesday, I beat the wife, you know? And so, in, in my mind... I, I agree with you that, that she, she there's every probability, we don't know for sure, but there's every pro- probability that she suffered a lot of abuse at his hands. And, well, one thing he did say is that after he came clean, she wanted him to kill himself and said that she would then kill herself next, kind of a Romeo and Juliet thing. Now, did she have intentions of actually doing so? I don't know. But then that's how he came up with the plan to get her to turn him in and get the reward money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's basically what... She did go to the police. She eventually went along with the plan and she went goes to the police. She tells them everything. Says, he's going to give you a full confession. He will let out everything. They go and they arrest him at gunpoint. She was supposed to meet him somewhere at a church later that day. And they're like, well, we'll just... Do you mind if we join? <laughs> like, we'll, we'll come along. We'll, we'll just tag along. We'll be very quiet. <laughs> you won't even know we're there except for the part where we're arresting your husband. Be very, very quiet. <laughs> we're hunting a goddamn serial killer. Right? So they arrest him at gunpoint. He just smiles and says, there is no need to be afraid. Well, I beg to differ once again, you sick motherfucker. That's whenever you just went, more guns. Yes, more guns. All the guns. Every gun we have. Maybe a cannon. Does anybody have a cannon? I have a stick of gun. You're no help, George. <laughs> oh, you said gun? No, I don't, I don't have one of those. So he confesses. He says, I'm the vampire of Dusseldorf, and here's a few more that you didn't even pick up on. He confesses to a lot. 68 crimes, 10 murders, 31 attempted murders, blood drinking from several victims, and the death of one swan. Yes, yes. <laughs> that he Did he decapitate the swan and drink the blood? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Which has got to be like having a built-in straw. That's got to be like the juice pack <laughs> for him. <laughs> Oh, God. It's a, it's a Capri Sun for vampires. Am I white? Because I feel like all the blood literally has just drained and just out of my body entirely, along with my soul, and fled somewhere else. Oh, we're going to hell. Jesus <laughs> Christ. 
Christ. So, uh, he, he basically, without any prompting, or barely any prompting, it's not like they were like, did you kill Marion? Did you kill Christine Clinton? No, without any prompting, he just goes, all right, so here's where I started, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then knives, scissors, hammers, strangulation, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. He just tells it from being in, and he's very highly detailed. He yeah, remembers so much. He had like a photographic memory. At least as far as the violence was concerned. A lot of other stuff in his life was kind of hazy. They say that uh, with serial killers, I, like a lot of psychologists say, like serial killers develop like a near photographic memory. They are able to relive each one of their kills, like remember every stinking detail. Well, mm-hmm. especially because that's the only way that he could get his rocks off. He would probably cheeseburger in his pants to the memories. Of all the horrible crimes he committed. What a great album. That sounds like a 1970s... Cheeseburger <laughs> in my pants. To the Memories <laughs> by Perry Como. Speaking of albums, he said that if while strangling a woman, he... I'm just going to go ahead and... I'm sorry, guys, but be a grown-up and use the word. Oh. If he ejaculated while strangling a woman, he would uh, apologize... Wait, we were talking about ejaculation? <laughs> <laughs> we were hungry. He would apologize... If this happened while well, he was, you know, you know, he's strangling her, it happens. He then, then apologize and say, quote, that's what love is all about. To which I say, okay, Michael no, Bolton. I love this, though. Like, I, I, I kind of, in a weird way, love this. So if he came too fast, he would apologize and let them live. If it took him a while to get to climax... They would die. So this is the only time in in your life that you're really hoping for that 10-second smash. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Because it's going to be followed up. If you don't get the 10-second smash, it's going to be followed up with a 10-second smash. Yes. Wow, you guys know how to make a horrifying thing even more horrifying. You're welcome. High five. It's... That's... Don't high five. No, you're not... (laughs) I didn't mean for you to be proud. (laughs) He said he never tortured any of the children that he killed, but again, we're seeing this. We're only getting his lens. I would say he definitely did. And once again, he says he did this all because of all the injustice done to him for literally the crimes that he committed. Uh, I think that's actually called justice. Mm-hmm. Just take away the in, toss that out, and it's just justice. And so he really seemed to like watching, as he's describing all this to a room full of policemen and a stenographer, really seemed to like watching the horror just dawn on their faces. I'm sure that they were as green as I am white seeing this firsthand. And there was probably some vomiting, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there almost was with me, so I I came very close. So he pleads guilty. Outright says that he's trying to make sure that August is good to go financially. Charge him with nine murders, seven attempted murders. Then the trial. (sighs) April 13th, 1931. They made a special cage that went up to his shoulders so he couldn't escape or be attacked, either one. Like, either get out or be killed uh, because the victim's families were, like, none too pleased to see this this monster in the flesh. Um, They charge him, and then he says, Not guilty! And uh, my confession was only so that I would get a reward money for my wife. So he, he completely switches that around, but also use, some, somehow uses the same line. It's sort of a, it's a weirdly smart, but they took a little while. They managed him to go back to the confession and admit it. I have a, a, a fairly long quote when he was asked uh, whether he had a conscience. Quote, I have none. Never have I felt any misgiving in my soul. Never did I think to myself that what I did was bad, even though human society condemns it. My blood and the blood of my victims will be on the heads of my torturers. There must be a higher being who gave in the first place the first 
vital spark to life. That higher being would deem my actions good since I revenged injustice. The punishments I have suffered have destroyed all my feelings as a human being. That was why I had no pity for my victims. End quote. Shut up, you motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You sick freak. And it didn't impress the jury very much. Not very much, no. And the prosecution didn't even really bring very much in the way of evidence. They were just like, can we get some doctors, like maybe five in here, to say that he's not insane? Because they're, of course, going with the insanity police. So we basically just need to counteract that, and then we're good. We're golden. I picture the prosecution just going, come on. Yeah, just basically like, look, look at the guy. Just look ta-da. at the guy. Yeah, ta-da. He said it all. Um, one and a half hours. For a... Oh, that's his actual head. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mummified and after it was bisected. So there was uh, one and a half hours for the jury to get to a unanimous guilty verdict on all nine murder and seven attempted murder charges. And this is the one time where I'm like, one and a half hours? That seems kind of long. Yeah. I mean, they probably had food. I still would actually be kind of eager. I'd be like, guys, we can eat afterwards. I really want to go in there and say guilty. Like, I'm really super going to be excited about this. Like, because I, I need to. I physically need all right, to. Guys, let's go back for deliberation. Here's the, the sausages and schnitzel mm-hmm. and whatever else. Eat first, then discuss. We I, don't want to talk about this while we're eating. I honestly <laughs> just I honestly just picture them back there going like, um, yeah, we got, need to make it look like we tried. Yeah, so. one of those cases. <laughs> So, Han, uh, set the alarm for 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Google, set an alarm for 90 minutes. Oh, I'm sorry if I just set off your uh, Google whatever. So the judge sentenced him to death nine times, which uh, he needed to die more times than that. He didn't try to appeal, but he did try for a pardon with the Minister of Justice, who was known to dislike capital punishment, but still somehow rejected the pardon request. I don't know why. Surprise face. Mm. Yeah, surprise face. (laughs) We all just made the same thing. So July 1st, and so basically July 1st it came in that it was rejected, so it was the next day that he was going to be executed. He wrote letters of apology to the families of his victims, which uh, that's one letter I'm going to burn. I'm never going to look at it. I don't want to. Honestly. Okay. Forgiveness is a thing. And I admire people who can uh, achieve it. And really, I think when you achieve forgiveness of somebody for a heinous act, you achieve it for yourself, not for them. I truly believe that his letters of uh, asking for forgiveness or apology are, 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 are still all about him. He probably said, I'm sorry, but... And that therefore negates the I'm sorry. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to your daughter's blood hit the floor. Like, it was probably something It like was that probably yeah. sick and demented, yeah. Like, like the Albert Fish letters. Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. So they're the same person. They really uh, are in this weird, weird way. Yeah. He got reincarnated. <laughs> oh, God. Actually, they, they lived been, at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it would have been kind of the same Very, deal. very close timeline here. His last meal, Wiener Schnitzel? Weitwein, fried potatoes, and then the same thing again. Yeah, he basically was like, I ate it all. Can I have seconds, please? And the prison staff were like, all right, you you horrible motherfucker. Um, And so on July 2nd, 1932, and here is the part where I'm like, we can't even get... Not that I get relief from anybody dying, but from a horrible monster like this, I get the tiniest bit of, well, at least they're off this earth. And maybe a little bit of it is revenge because, like, there's this tiny part of me that I will admit, even though I'm not a proponent of the death penalty, whenever you hear it in the moment, you're like, 
well, at least they suffered a little bit. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate, but I feel that it's also a very human impulse. I wish I work to suffered. get past it, but that's the thing. I wish he did. He probably got off on it, and he, he at least stated that he was going to. Yeah, yeah. He, he said, tell me, after my head is chopped off, will I still be able to hear, at least for a moment, the sound of my own blood gushing from the stump of my neck? That would be the pleasure to end all pleasures. To which point the executioner went, need a set of those little foamy earplugs? <laughs> Just in case. No. Stop that boner right now. <laughs> he was asked for last words after this, and one would think, knowing a monster like this, I think he actually intended for those to be his last words. He just said no and smiled. And then that was And then probably cheeseburgered in his pants. His... I just pictured the execution going, Ew! (laughs) Like, as there's like a fountain of blood, a little dribble of jizz. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can call it cheeseburger all this time. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, at the one hour and 36 minute mark, at the hour of execution, you've got to mix the blood and the jizz. Yeah. Oh, hour of execution. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Stop it. I'm editing all this out. I'm becoming the editor this week. I'm editing all this out, and I don't care what anybody says. So his head is actually bisected and mummified. Well, that's not the way you guillotine somebody. Well, I mean, that's what you do afterwards if he's incredibly messed up, and you want to try and figure out if there's anything in his brain that caused this, and they find no abnormalities in his brain. It would have been great if they would have invented a T-shaped guillotine blade just to do both jobs at once. Oh, my God. (laughs) That would... Yeah, I mean, that, that would have been... Very unique Vince's and, and kind slap. of German in, it, yeah. in its in its efficiency. And Germans, they make good stuff. This is Vince's slap shot to guillotine. Bam! <laughs> so he did interviews with a Dr. Carl Berg uh, during, before the execution. Before the execution, yeah. And then after the execution, Carl Berg published the very first psychologically the very first psychological study on serial killers called the Sadist. And that uh, that bisected head, uh, you can see it in many pictures online. You can also see it if you go to uh, Wisconsin to Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. If you want to hold that, and up also so you can see, see it if you're on bisected head. The bisected go. head. So I was a little curious about some things regarding um, serial killers. I looked on FBI.gov, and they have some notes from a symposium that they had with some some agents and, and specialists and, and experts in this area, and. I was curious because the motives seemed so not necessarily conflicting, but coexisting. That whole revenge against society, but also sexual pleasure. And I was like, okay, so is this a thing? So just for our education, um, the FBI.gov symposium says that, and then this is fairly obvious, but also I think it bears stating, a serial killer may have multiple motives for his crimes. And those motives can evolve even within a single murder, and also throughout the entire uh, of their, their their murdering career. So this is, uh, they have a list of general categories. It's not meant to be, be an entire list. It's just what they, you know, discuss there. And, and so I'm sure there's other niche killers and such. But from this, and I, I, I figured, you know, I, I basically went through and I picked the ones just for the description. And I think it helps us categorize him and uh, not that it helps us understand this anymore, because nothing ever will. But so uh, we have, I think, actually three that apply. Uh, probably in varying quantities throughout his entire, you know, everything he did, every murder he committed, an attack and such. Anger, 
quote from the website, anger is a motivation in which an offender displays rage or hostility towards a certain subgroup of the population or with society as a whole. He at the very least said that that was his motivation, so we can attribute that. Uh, then sexually based is a motivation driven by the sexual needs slash desires of the offender. There may or may not be overt sexual contact reflected in the crime scene. So that was interesting to me that you're not always going to necessarily see evidence of it. Uh, and because then, half the time it was in his pants. Exactly. Yes. And in, in, in this case. And then uh, the one that Cheese I felt burger. was kind of, there's not a lot of evidence towards it, but I think there's some evidence towards it. Power thrill is a motivation in which the offender feels empowered and or excited when he kills his victims. So not necessarily, they say excited, they don't specify sexual excitation or just emotional excitation. But I think given the environment he grew up in, where he felt powerless and the only power he really saw was violence, I think we could say that there was at least partially sometimes this was part of his you know motivation. I mean, for all we know, when he stabbed the mechanic, the guy reminded him of his dad. Mm -hmm. we, I mean, I, I'm, I'm seriously, highly in the realms of speculation. We have absolutely no evidence of this. I'm just saying that there's, you know, possibilities that sometimes that power thrill may have came in. When Dr. Carl Berg wrote his book, The Sadist, uh, he, he said, I think it was 90% sadism, 10% revenge slash anger. And I felt... That was probably true. I think that he didn't necessarily want, as much as he was able to admit that he did these things and that he gained sexual satisfaction, I think him saying, I did it because of the sexual satisfaction was a whole different thing. So he felt maybe more justified if he said, well, no, I did it because society did me wrong. So that's just my personal theory. It, it, it may be entirely inaccurate, but I was, I was just curious to delve a little bit into the psychology behind it and to the motivations. To be fair, society does have kind of a kind of a really dim outlook on people that murder children and drink their blood. I mean... I, I personally do have a dim outlook on those mm -hmm. people. Like, I really wish he would have just had, like, an autoerotic asphyxiation thing. Like, he, he could have David Carradine in himself on a door, and we wouldn't be talking about him now. At all. No, not at all. That would have been super. That would have been really super, yeah. So, do you guys have anything else on Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf, scourge of humanity in general at this moment? I'm just still picturing him drinking from a swan's neck like a Capri Sun. <laughs> Capri Sun goose. <laughs> you know, sometimes your visual metaphors are actually not welcome. <laughs> just want to say. Just want to say. <laughs> oh, no, don't make sound effects. All right, so that okay. was horrifying, and these two are high-fiving. No, that was a high turkey. They they high-swanned. High um, <laughs> now I'm in it. <laughs> Fuck. You have dragged me down to your horrifying level. That's what we do here. And I am not happy. I am. So I feel like, I feel like it's, we even, for those of you who are listening, we're on opposite sides of a desk, so it's these two sick creeps <laughs> and then me over here trying to rise above like the self-righteous idiot I am and then them just yanking me down and pulling me so I feel very much two against one when it gets into this sick stuff and you guys are like horrible jokes high five <laughs> so okay so that was Peter Curtin the vampire of Dusseldorf uh, thank you very much for listening oh oh yes let's 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 cleanse please let's cleanse oh. talk about a good thing that has happened to you in the last uh, week or so I know it's been a rough week for some of us, but if you can find one moment of sunshine, I think it would help um, both our listeners and us psychologically. The weak anthropic principle. That made me happy. Thank you.
<laughs> that made me very happy. A uh, gentleman named Rusticon. He designs uh, he designs little transformers uh, for uh, for three D printer enthusiasts, and I suggested uh, he make one of the ships from my favorite crew, the Scavengers. And it's called the Weak Anthropic Principle, and by God, if he didn't make it for me. So I printed out that out, and now I have a little Weak Anthropic Principle sitting on my desk at home. It makes me happy. That is fantastic. Yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So if you, if you happen to be a fan of that sort of stuff, go on over to Patreon and find his Patreon. It's Funbee Studios, F-U-N-B-I-E, and you can see like all the amazing things that he's designed. Even if you happen to not be a Transformers fan, he has like the Stiance gun from the Disenchantment series. He's got a bunch of Rick and Morty stuff up there. So really cool guy, really helpful. Go go help him out. It's like I pledged a dollar a month, and I get like a access to all of his uh, all of his STL files. Nice. Yeah. How about you, Amber? Um, ray of sunshine. I think my my ray of sunshine moment actually came out of after the storm. So my four year old has a double ear infection. She's never even had one, and we got two at the same time. Mm. Um, so. The, the day after she started her meds, she's like, Mommy, I still can't hear very well, so don't expect me to listen. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I don't anyway, but thanks. And then she said, what? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. She's milking it. She's like, I couldn't hear you. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and sure you couldn't. <laughs> How about you, buddy? Um, well, I went to Florida last weekend, and that was fantastic. Stayed in a mansion, laid by the pool, Coke read about mansion. Ted Bundy. There was a ghost. Um, according to Amber, there was probably some Coke residue somewhere. So, yeah, that was fantastic, I have to say. It was wonderful and amazing. I did have um, – it's, it's a smaller ray of light, but it, it's more recent. I had a really good class today. Nice. I'm feeling really great about this bunch of students, which if any of my former students are listening, it's not that I didn't feel good about you, but they just – I mean, they asked about my back at one point during class. And it wasn't because they wanted to de derail the class because they knew that I was trying to get out. I was trying to get us out at least like 10 minutes early because I needed to squeeze in an allergy shot before I had another appointment. Mm -hmm. Like I was running all over today. So I was like, I'm going to try and get us out early. So they know it's not in their best interest to derail. But they were like, how's your back doing? How are, are you okay still? Like, do you need us to erase the board? You know? And yeah. so I thought it was very sweet that they were asking after me. And I feel like I'm gaining a rapport with this group, which is weird because it's the biggest class I've had at the school so far. So for it to feel more convivial and more close than it is when it's six students, which I've also had, this is this current group is 22, is, is very interesting. But I think people somehow feel like when they're in a crowd, they can be more willing to speak up is a, is a weird thing. Because mm -hmm. when I have very small classes, they're very quiet. It's so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I felt like I had a really good class today. And I had left uh, my Pittsburgh Penguins travel mug in class on Tuesday and totally didn't realize it until I got home. And uh, then we lost in a shutout against the Flyers. And so I blamed myself. <laughs> and I got to class and it wasn't there. And I was like, oh, my God, where is my mug? Oh, God, they're going to lose everything the rest of the season. It's going to be my fault. And then, like, 10 minutes into class, I glance over and there's this weird... I don't know where I teach, what is going on here, but there's this weird, I'll show you guys a picture, three-sided metal box on the floor across the room, just in the corner. And I look over, I was like, my mug! <laughs> I, like, scared the crap out of three students because I just, like, almost screamed. I was like, ah, there it is! And they were like, what, what, what? 
So, so yeah, but it was a very fun class, and I feel like I've got a really great group, and that makes me really look forward to the rest of the semester. Nice. Nice. So yes, that is our rays of sunshine that we will definitely need after the all the darkness that has been throughout this episode that we handled with quite a bit of inappropriate humor looking at you two. Yep. 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 Proud of it. So uh, I, I hope that you uh, learned a lot. I'm never I'm, I'm trying not to say enjoyed this because not a lot to enjoy here. But I hope that you uh, enjoyed the ride with us at least and uh, didn't throw up at any point. If you did, I don't blame you, and I'm sorry. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you uh, like our show, a couple things you can do. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help those, you know, it's, it's, it's such a little thing, but it really does help drive a podcast up the charts so that we can continue to make more content and so you can get more people into this thing that you enjoy. Which, so you do know, that. you want that. So yes, do that. And you can also go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. And there you can uh, contribute to the podcast. You can be a flatfoot. You can be a gumshoe. You can be a private, private dick. dick. We should have just, just been completely silent mm -hmm. until she broke five minutes of silence. I bet we can get her. No, Maybe ten. Actually, no. you want to know something great? I, so I'm under here playing footsie with Christy. I'm just trying to mess with her. <laughs> That's my boots. I took and them it's off. It's her boots that she stuck under the desk. I've been trying to mess with them for like 20 minutes. <laughs> that is my new ray of sunshine. <laughs> so you can also, if you're not the monthly contribution type, if you just want a nice little one night stand because you think we're hot, but you don't know if you're really that into us, that's fine too. You're we're, totally we're, that into us. You're totally that into us. But there is also our PayPal. You can use the email oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com to contribute any amount you want. Uh, our Amazon wish list is in our link tree on all of our social media, which we would be happy if you would join us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. We are in all those places. You can find out when we're about to be on Twitch uh, for our live streams. You can find see extra media related to the cases that we cover. And sometimes we just put up random stuff like, you know, um, when my cat decides he's going to get all up in my notebook when I'm trying to take show notes and everything. So, you know, there, there's cats. There's pictures of cats, and that's what the internet is all about. If you're on the internet and you're not on our page to look at a picture of my cat that I don't even want to know you. So, anyhow, um, I'm feeling very emotional and it's coming out in my voice in weird ways. Her cat has thumbs. It's important. Yes, yes, my, my cat does have thumbs. There's a reason he's called Hemingway. So, yeah, um, I think that's pretty much it. I think so. Thank you so much for joining us on the horrifying adventure through Dusseldorf and Cologne and Germany and Peter Curtin's just monstrous life. And uh, we will see you next week for probably something a little less horrifying. <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening and bye. See ya. Bye. My sources this week are biography.com, articles from BBC and the Crime Library found on Murderpedia, Wikipedia, uh, an article by Katie Serena on All That's Interesting, and the FBI.gov article, Serial Murderer. My sources for this week are Wikipedia and Murderpedia. Big thank you going out to Wikipedia. Incredibly thorough. Thank you. My sources are Wikipedia, 1931, Peter, I can't read my own writing, Peter Curtin, The Vampire of Dusseldorf, but on executedtoday.com. Biography.com, The Killer Book of Serial Killers by the Philippines, Tom and Michael, 
an article on All That's Interesting by Katie Serena, and also Murderpedia. God bless the good people at Murderpedia. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. I'm assuming they're good people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>